Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 457. Is simply just be a student of the sport. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to listen to people. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Michael Zemicki. Michael, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am absolutely strapped in and ready to go. All right. Fresh off of Daytona, too, I understand. Absolutely. Just came back from, uh, or just finished the Daytona 24, and I'm actually currently traveling down to Sebring for an event down there. So There you go. Pissy guy. Good for you. Michael Zemicki, owner of Slide Rule Motorsports, is a driving coach who's been building drivers into racers since 1990. He's worked with many great drivers, including Graham Rahal, Ryan hunter Ray, Nick Harvey, Ashley Freeberg, Pippa Mann, and many others. His approach to driver coaching is to pull all the tools necessary together that they need to achieve success. He coaches his drivers to be 24-hour-a-day athletes and helps them to understand the why and what of what they're doing, and he plays an integral part in their team to achieve their success. Michael, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you share a little bit more about your business and your passion for automobiles and racing? Absolutely. Um, I think you've, you know, you've kind of hit on the high points there. Really, my business model, it's really pretty interesting because I came out of, I worked for one of the big racing schools in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would watch these students and you'd get these fresh guys in and, you know, they'd go and they'd start racing. And at that point, really, you know, in racing, the successful racers were lucky if they had a mentor who was maybe a crew chief who had been involved in racing a long time or maybe a, a driver who had been but a lot of the stuff was just sort of learned by trial and error and, you know, that Mark Donahue model of, you know, of really being a student of the sport really hadn't absorbed in mm-hmm. down to all the levels. And so I sort of, sort of saw a gap there and there were a couple other guys who had been starting to do some coaching and uh, I got loaned out to a couple of the big NASCAR teams to help them because they were starting to 
learn how to road race or attempting to learn how to road race. So I basically said, you know what, there's a gap here. And I had grown up in a competitive alpine skiing environment where coaching was you know, something that uh, the technique had been broken down and there were drills you did and very specific exercises to learn certain parts of the skill sets needed in order to be a good ski racer. Mm -hmm. And I sort of looked at auto racing and I was like, you know what, nobody's kind of doing that. Right. So I just sort of applied or tried to apply that uh, that mindset to driving. And, you know, I, what I've kind of coined that, that as, what you said is, you know, I look at it as the driver is a 24-hour-a-day athlete. Mm -hmm. um, which is everything they do. You know, I think, I think the public perception, I think of a lot of drivers is, is, you know, champagne bottles are popping and, uh, <laughs> yeah. they're driving and they're driving around in their fancy cars and they show up at the race and they drive fast. In reality, especially today, you know, racing is a 24 hour a day business. The drivers are doing everything from working on their social media, which is important for sponsorships and keeping the, the you know, their public persona in the, you know, viable to, you know, the physical fitness because the cars are so much faster now and, and put so much more demand on the driver than they used to 15 years ago. So, you know, kind of covering all those things, you know, from fitness to nutrition to how to prep for an event. I mean, I'll be blunt with you. In the early days when I started working, it was great because when I packed up my stuff to go to the racetrack, pretty much all I needed was my stopwatch and a, and a pen and a pad of paper. And I could just sort of watch what was going on. And, uh, and, you know, write some notes and go back and talk to the driver and make some suggestions and, uh, and things were wonderful. Now it's, you know, multiple laptops and video cameras and, you know, super trick software. And, you know, there still is a stopwatch in there. Um, but all these other tools, because there's so much information that you can gather about driving now. Right. So, uh, you know, it's become a much more complicated thing, which has actually, I think, made my role even more important because, you know, I'll finish up my brief thing here by saying, you know, I think what happens is, is that you have a lot of engineers, especially now because, because the demand for engineering is so high or at such a high level that we get really, really well-trained engineers, but maybe they don't know everything there is to know about driving or don't fully understand driving because they've been studying engineering for 15 years. Right. And then you've got drivers who are, haven't spent that 15 years engineering because they've been driving a go-kart since they were eight. And so I luckily have sort of just because of the, you know, the era that I started doing it in and the way that everything is developed along with my own development, I'm pretty good at bridging that gap between those two and sort of being an interpreter between you know, what the engineer thinks the car should do and what the driver thinks the car should do and what the engineer thinks the driver is doing and what the driver thinks the engineer is doing. Right. So I do a lot of interpreting and sort of bridging. So that, that's my quick and dirty. Well, it's certainly become way more complex. And when you look at, for instance, just watching the Daytona race last weekend, you look at the enormous amount of people needed to run a team and all the complexities involved and the idiosyncrasies, and like you said, for the drivers, the days of just showing up and jumping in the car and driving are long gone. So that's why I love having race driving coaches here. I've had many on the show before, Don Kiss and Ross Bentley, to just name a few. But uh, we're going to learn a lot more about what you do here as we move along. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Michael, take the wheel. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because you send me my paperwork and I looked at it, I, you know, I looked at it and I, I put quotes up all the time on, on information I send out to drivers. Mm-hmm. And more than anything, what I'm going to say is, one, it's just really a phrase that I say to the, uh, to the drivers all the time that I work with, which is, if you drive out of the pits and you try to go fast, you won't. If you drive <laughs> out of the pits and you try to do more things right, you will go fast. And that sort of sums up to me the approach of how you have to drive, which is that, you know, driving, it's one of those things where if you want to go fast to me, to explain that quote, if you want to go fast, saying you want to go fast, that's not a plan. Right. Going out of the going out of the pits and saying to yourself, "I want to do more things right." That's a plan, and that's how the speed happens. Having and that to me, plan, that's kind of like, yeah. And to me, that's kind of a core principle of what I do and how I approach looking at things. It's uh, it's really great. It works well in business and life as well. It's it's one thing to say, "Well, I want to lose weight." Well, how are you going to do right. that? <laughs> or we're going to succeed this year. We're going to be profitable. Okay, how? Exactly. I remember when I, I went to racing school, I did some vintage racing, and one of the best things the instructor told me the very first day is, go slow first, and don't try to go out there and be really fast. Go out there and start to just learn a little bit first, and it, it really helped put my head on straight. So I, I think it's great, the approach you have, great mantra for your drivers. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is is there a pivotal moment as you think back in your life when you really realized that you were a, a car guy, a racing guy? You know, it's funny. This is where this is where I'm going to go off the tracks as one of your guests a little bit. <laughs> Good. The, <laughs> <laughs> which is that I wasn't really a car guy. Uh-huh. Um, I grew up out in the bonies, and I did have a go-kart that I enjoyed, but it was a very simple, you know, like chain drive. Yeah. Briggs and Stratton on the back. <laughs> exactly. It was your classic, you know, like a farm cart, basically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pay any attention to auto racing, but I always had a car living out in the boonies. We always had dirt roads and cars to drive around. And I had came from that ski racing background and, you know, I was always into driving fast and just like any teenager, probably at times driving faster than I should have. And when I graduated, I had a fellow who has gone on to be my brother-in-law who was into cars. And I graduated from high school, and I had some money, and I bought a used BMW 2002, which I knew nothing about until my brother-in-law informed me that it was the coolest car in the world (laughs) and it's what I had to buy. And it's what I had to buy. And just by coincidence, I listened to him, and I bought it and totally fell in love with it and, you know, worked on it every day. And just, I mean, literally it was just a love affair with this 2002. And part of that was that I found a guy, a German guy who had, in, uh, who had, uh, you know, come to America and it had a racing background during a little bit of, you know, kind of the equivalent of club stuff in those days. And this would have been late, uh, late seventies. Uh-huh. He had a little shop and he only specialized in BMWs. He basically looked at me and he was like, you have to go racing. You have to go do these autocrosses, you know, go try these. Mm-hmm. And I went and I did those. And I got to tell you, it was, it, you know, it was not only did I love my car even more, but I just loved the whole, it was like a competition and it was in the car and I could drive fast and, you know, and it was just everything about it was great. Yeah. And that's sort of how I got sucked into the racing business. 
And that sort of came to all do a screeching halt when I realized that somewhere along the way, and I look back now and I say, okay, there's the classic case of a driver. And I had pretty good success. I won a Skip Barber championship and was pretty successful in a couple other races. But I had no idea that racing was actually a business. Mm. <laughs> and it was it's just the classic story where, you know, I just sort of, you know, I sort of looked at it. And what I tell people now is that I sat there and I said, well, you know, I made the assumption like any other sport, if you just do well, you'll move along. Yeah. And I so I sort of came to a screeching halt. But the wonderful thing was, is that through running the Skip Barber series, Skip was very much involved in those days. And in the winter of 1981, Skip actually hired me to work for him. Okay. And I got to tell you, that's what opened my door to instructing. And I still was driving and doing some driving and stuff. But I got to tell you, the, 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 just even doing a three-day school with Skip, and those were early days. We were still building the curriculum and, and building the school up. And just, it, I got to tell you, there was such a pleasure in seeing someone like yourself or, or an average guy come off the street who was enthusiastic about cars and was a race fan, or maybe they weren't, and putting them in this car and just simply watching them develop skills over just for a three-day school. Oh yeah, it was a wonderful. It was a wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, I just ended up diving into it with both feet just because it was. It was one of those things where you just you know, literally every three days, or you'd go and do a race weekend with people, and you'd help people learn, and you know, you'd see some guy who who couldn't finish better than twentieth, and he'd get a fifteenth, and that was like a victory. Oh yeah, and that it was just it was just I, I and I still love that today. And I don't always work with, I mean, you, you mentioned some, you know, the Graham Ray Halls and the Ryan Hunter Rays and the Danica Patricks and the Pippas and the Catherine Legs and the Ashley Freibergs and, the, you know, the John Fogarty's and all those people that have done really well in racing. You mentioned those, but I've also had a ton of clients that I either started from scratch or were maybe people that might, you know, horrible thing to say, might never win a race, mm -hmm. but they're just as satisfying to work with. Sure. You know, because you get those kind of personal victories. Yeah. So that's sort of my, that's sort of where the passion is. And I got to tell you, I'm still not a huge car guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, shh, don't say that too loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll book note this by saying I'm still not a huge car guy. It's just so funny. I mean, and, and I know a lot about modern cars just because I'm around people that are so enthusiastic for them. And I got to tell you, modern cars are phenomenal how good they are. Oh, yeah. You know, you look at a, you look at a, a, a little, you know, what people think of as an econo box now, mm -hmm. and you think about how good that is yep. compared to a car from 20 years ago. And you're oh, like, gosh. oh, my gosh, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, it's all you so know? much more simple. And, yeah, it makes you feel like you're much better than you really are because especially when you get into traction control and all of that. But I'll tell you, Skip Barber, that's the school I went to, the three-day open-wheel school at Laguna Seca. Great group of people, put a lot of confidence into me, a guy who was a little nervous about thinking about doing some vintage racing, you know, just some amateur stuff. And uh, it was really, really a great experience, uh, thankfully, to the people that were there, really. That's what made the difference. I'd love to crawl under the hood here and take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk a bit about a huge challenge or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? 
I think it's interesting because, you know, in racing, quite frankly, you can go on a, on a day, sometimes day to day, certainly week to week, you can go from huge successes to huge failures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can come off, you know, you're, uh, you know, there's one of the quotes that floats around there in racing, you know, you're only as good as your last race or whatever. And there, you know, there's some real truth to that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really used to, I mean, I've been at this for, you know, basically 30 years and, to me, more than anything, if I just look at it in, and I can give you some specifics, but I, I just look at it from more of a global perspective, what racing has taught me is is that, you know what, we didn't click you know, the boxes off today. We didn't achieve our goals, or maybe we did fail miserably. Mm-hmm. But what that's taught me is this certainly this life perspective, which is, all right, you know what, we're going to put our heads down and we're going to say, okay, so what were the problems? Why did we do wrong? You know, what went wrong? And we're going to move on from there and build and grow. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in that, you know, I look back and I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different teams and the best teams are the ones where that is the theme, where you look at them and you say, you know, um, you know, we're, we're underachieving here or we're just simply getting our butts kicked by this other team. What are they doing better? And you put aside your egos, uh, which are very easy to get involved. You know, everybody wants to do well, but you sit there and you say, you put aside the ego and you go, okay, who didn't quite do that right? Or where was the mistake made? Or maybe it's just, there wasn't enough collaboration. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I've gone through that cycle so many times. You know, even personally with a driver, you know, whether they're just struggling or sometimes with the team. And that to me is, you know, sort of looking at it more globally versus getting into a a specific nitty gritty incident. You know, that's part of it. With all the the challenges of racing, is there one takeaway from all of that that our listeners could grasp onto that they could maybe take forward into their lives, careers, passions? It's never over. (laughs) <laughs> it's never over. Never give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I hate to sound like a greeting card company, but the, you know, you look at Daytona 24 hour where, you know, I was just there and I was there with Ashley Freiberg was there driving with, uh, with the Turner car in Kimza GTD. And then I was also there with, uh, with the Starworks team that was running two PC cars mm-hmm. and, Starworks is a team that's had a lot of, you know, success in IMSA in the prototype level and the PC level. And we sort of looked at that race going in and we said, okay, we've got two PC cars that can win this race. With our driver lineups and our experience and everything, we can win this race. And one of them didn't finish and the other one finished fourth. Mm-hmm. a bunch of laps down. And you look at that and you say there's a situation where you where you say, okay, we had all these components in place. What outside things went wrong? You know, what could we have done better? And at one point, the car that finished fourth was in eighth. It was many more laps down, and it was just one of those things where, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to get our laps back. Here's what the drivers <laughs> need to do. Right. Here's how we're going to change the driver. You know, you just adapt and you move on, mm-hmm. and you just sit there and you say, and you look at the long picture, Versus, you know, and, and it's funny because I, Peter Barron, the team owner, and I were sitting there at the end of the race, and Peter had been up all 24 hours working strategy, and I'd gotten about an hour's worth of sleep, and Peter and I were in the trailer at the end, and he looked at me, and he was just like, you know, blew his, blew his breath out and shook his head, 
And uh, and uh, and he goes, God, these these ones are hard, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I go, Well, you know, it's that. I go, It's that deal where, it's that deal where you know, it's the same amount of work to try and to work really hard and come back and finish fourth as it is to win. Mm-hmm. And it really is. And you sort of sit there and you have to change that perspective. I mean, you got to go, okay, what what is the best we can get out of this? Yeah. You know, yeah. how are we going to move forward? And yeah. that is really the takeaway that I got to tell you that is just universal for me for racing, which is you just don't give up. You know, give you're fourth up, yeah. going into that last lap. You don't know what's going to happen. You can't just drive around and say, oh, I'm fourth and just kind of have this yep. Eeyore, you know, down in the dumps attitude. You got to yeah. be like, anything can happen. And that's what I was looking at the time and saying, going, man, those first two cars, all we need is one thing to go wrong. Yeah, one of those <laughs> guys know? to bump the other one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that's quite a finish yeah. for sure. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment. It's it's a time when the headlights come on and kind of shine the way for you for this new direction you had, this new thought. Tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. I would say for me an aha moment was when I realized that the Ryan Hunter Rays of the world and the other guys at the top of the sport were no different than the guys who were struggling to make it in the sport or the gentlemen racers, hmm. which is that it's, it's the, and it's interesting and that it's really easy to look at, at people. And I'm sure it's the same with, you know, if I was in the music industry, I'd look at somebody who's thought of as, as, you know, some God of a guitar player in a band. Right. Right. And you'd look at him. And if you were a really talented teacher of guitar technique, you'd say, you know what? There's a lot of guys that can play the guitar that well. Yeah. But it's being able to play the guitar that well in that situation and maybe come up and play the guitar in a way that people want to hear, right? Not just have the skill set. And that is, you know, to me, there's, there's, I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but you look at a Ryan Hunter Ray, unbelievably talented driver, really hard worker, great guy. And the skills he needs to implement. And the way he needs to look at things is no different than a gentleman driver who's trying to do the best he can at a club event or doing the best he can running IMSA. And it's just simply how well they play that guitar and, and you know, put those skill sets to use and how right. they sort of put them together. Yeah. And that, to me, was, from a coaching perspective, was one of the biggest aha moments because I went into it initially coaching saying, okay, I'm going to help people learn stuff they don't know. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's, it's, you know, if I start with someone with a low skill set, I'm definitely an instructor at that point. You know, I'm saying, okay, here's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if I continue, and most of my clients tend to be multiple year deals, those relationships go from student and an instructor to, you know, they slowly kind of, that starts to blend away. And at some point it becomes very, very collaborative. And it doesn't mean that there isn't sometimes still an instructor there, Mm -hmm. but those things become collaborative in terms of, you know, I can serve as a, as a memory and I can say, okay, here are the things we need to continue to concentrate on, on working on, sure. you know, and just work forward. So that's really one of the biggest, I mean, for an aha moment, for me realizing that 
you know what? It's whether you're Ryan Hunter Ray or you're a gentleman driver, you still need to be online. You still need to have the same basic skill sets and be applying them. Yeah, yeah, great. Perfectly said. Now, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many with all the people you've coached and all the races you've attended, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? I would say, boy, that's a tough question, you know, because there's, there's great moments at Indy. You know, there's, uh, you know, back in the Trans Am day, uh, my client there, John Gooding, we won, we won most improved driver two years in a row, mm-hmm. which nobody's ever done. And but that's just a spectacular thing. You yeah. know, some of the indie stuff, I mean, I can think of specific passes. I mean, John Fogarty, I can remember looking at John Fogarty coming in from an Atlantic qualifying session and, uh, you know, being on pole for uh, the race that he had to win to win the Atlantic championship. And John had gone out and executed as well as I'd ever had a driver execute for a qualifying session. And literally the tires on both sides of the car car had scuff marks on them from using all the road up against, there was a street course touching the wall, (laughs) you know, and you look at that and you go, there is, that was a great example of a guy at the top of his game executing to the top of his game and everything being right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and dealing with the pressure. And, you know, those scuff marks weren't there because he made mistakes. Those scuff marks were there because he was thinking, if I can consistently track out two inches further than everybody else, maybe those will be the hundredths I need to be on pole. That kind of stuff is just, it's wonderful to see. It it gives me chills now even thinking about it. It's cool to be part of that. It's a fun part of being an instructor, a teacher, a mentor, for sure. Now, you are a self-described, not much of a car guy, we said earlier here. So this next question, I like to have a little bit of fun with, and you may have already answered this with that BMW 2002, but what was your first really special car? Absolutely, the 2002. I went through a couple 2002s. Oh, okay. Um, More than one. <laughs> and, and this is where I can actually get a little car nerdy on you here. Good, good. The, I, my, the first one that I had was a 76 2002. And I ended up doing an engine rebuild on that. And, you know, we hopped it up a little bit and got some more horsepower out of it. And then I put a five-speed in it because those were four speeds. I put a close ratio five-speed in it. And then I put a limited slip in it. And, you know, I obviously changed the shocks around. And in those days, you could you could take these little plates that were under the McPherson struts in the front, move them to the top of the struts, so you actually lowered the front of the car a little bit. And, you know, it was all those little nerdy changes. And that car was wonderful. And then I had the opportunity to buy a 1973 PII. Oh, nice! Which was already a little, already a little more hopped up and a little lighter, and it didn't have the big bumpers. And I took, believe it or not, I took the best parts off that 76 and I moved them over to the TII and I rebuilt that motor. And that car was a screamer. <laughs> cool. So literally, that's the car. When I look back at, and I've had some pretty cool cars over the years, but that's the car I look back at, and I'm like, oh man, I should have kept that. So that's the one you wish you had back in the garage. Yeah, and the only actually the only other one I wish I had it back in the garage is I had a 1985 Quattro Coupe, which was one of the homogulation cars for oh, yeah? the rally cars. Yeah, which I had the license plate on it was Mouton as a as an <laughs> homage to Michelle Mouton. Yes, and it was you know you always knew when you would run into a race fan because they'd go nuts seeing that car with that license plate on it. Uh, yeah. somebody that knew what it was. Yep, but that car was so far ahead of its time in terms of 
you know, what it could do. It was a, that was just a, a kind of, a, I think, a cool historic piece. Oh, yeah. Well, we're into the new year here, and I'd like to hear a little bit about what you've got coming up this year that really has you excited and fired up. Maybe it's some of the drivers you're working with, some of the events coming up. Uh, what's really got you excited in 2016? I think Ashley driving the BMW is is an awesome thing. You know, she's a, a young driver that's been, you know, banging her head to sort of uh, get her foot in the door and get things going. And she had a, an association with BMW last year in the Continental Challenge. And, you know, the, the because of the way the rules were and balance of power, that car wasn't quite as competitive as it should have been. Mm-hmm. But she showed, you know, it was interesting in racing that car. You know, she went at Road Atlanta. She went from... 23rd to first uh in the rain incredible um, drive you know yeah i mean really amazing drive and i think in the you know she showed very well in the bmw this weekend at daytona and i'm, I'm excited about that and i'm also excited because she's going to get into i have a gentleman driver uh client by the name of mark kwame who was in one of the starworks pc cars this weekend and he's going to run that pc car for the rest of the season and actually at the sprint races Ashley's going to be in the PC car. Oh, no kidding. Uh, with wow. Them. Oh, yeah. very cool. And so that is one of those things where I think it's really cool where I'm going to have both my clients uh, or those two clients in the same car, driving with each other, wow. able to collaborate and work with each other. And for Ashley, it's going to be a learning curve on that car. And for Mark, it's, uh, as a gentleman driver, it's a big learning curve on that car. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that's just going to be a really cool experience. Yeah, very exciting. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Michael. If you were a car, and I'll include race car, but if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> I'd be something nerdy and slow. Nerdy and the, slow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go a little further with that. <laughs> nerdy and old. No, actually, let's take the slow way because I, like I like the idea of being nerdy and fast, but it has to be something old. Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of older race cars. I, I got to say that era of you know 917s or the Alpha sports racing cars with the 12 cylinders in them and the Ferrari Le Mans cars. Mm. And, you know, that era there was so spectacular. I mean, the cars looked cool and they sounded so good. You know, I mean, that was just well. That's like, far and, and from nerdy looked, and slow. <laughs> no, no, I know, but well, they were kind of nerdy, yeah, but yeah. But they were just, and they looked like they were being driven hard, yeah. right? When oh, they, when well, they, they were. Behind the wheel. <laughs> they were. Oh, exactly. Yeah. If I had an era to, uh, you know, to pop myself into, it would have been that. Great era, for sure. Well, Michael, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life car covers front end masks dash covers seat covers floor mats and much much more covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories 
made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Michael, we are back and we're entering the last lap. You know what that means. The white flag is out. It's time to put our foot into it and get to the checkered flag. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I am. This first question is great because it's like asking the coach, what's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Best automotive advice would simply be to drive what you have. Coming from a racing perspective, you get drivers that get into the car or racers that get into the car and have a preconceived notion in the race about how it's going to handle or how it's going to be. I see. Drive what you have. Drive what you have. I love that one. Would you share one of your personal habits that you think has helped contribute to your success over the years? Uh, routine and lists. Mm, yes, very important. Do you, do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy that you go to often? Uh, I think for racing, the speed secrets that Ross Bentley does oh, yeah. is a great resource. And then I think the one that is, to me, the one that is really exceptional these days is the RRDC Road Racing Drivers Club uh, website, Safe is Fast, which has tutorials from all over the world for racers and pro guys. And to me, that's probably the single biggest depository of kind of modern racing knowledge from the widest, you know, selection. Yeah, great resources. How about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading as well? I think that the, any, to me, uh, and I'll go against the grain here maybe a little bit, but to me, for someone that wants to go racing, mm-hmm. almost more than anything, reading some of the good sports psychology books, is probably the best thing we can do. Well, listeners, you can find resources, all these resources, at carsyeah.com slash Michael Zimicki, and his last name is Z-I-M-I-C-K-I. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, Michael, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car, since we know you love racing, in your garage, but don't worry about the price, because I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? 250 short wheelbase Ferrari. <laughs> For the very simple reason that I had the pleasure of driving one several times, both on the street and on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And it is a car that just, there's just no way you can't be entertained in it, it whatever it you're doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, I was extremely fortunate at Moroso during one of the Cavalino events to get to drive one. And uh, it really surprised me 
how the car felt and drove. I thought it would be like any other old car from that era, kind of big and clunky and heavy, and it was uh, quite the opposite. So, No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, wonderful car to drive. Yeah, they are quite beautiful. Well, Michael, you've taken me on an awesome ride around the track today. I knew you would, Coach. And I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack in that 250 short wheelbase? <laughs> well, the 250 short wheelbase is going to be a pleasure. Uh, my <laughs> parting word is is simply just be a student of the sport. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to listen to people. Yes. And I still find nuggets of useful information from people you'd never imagined mm. um, just by listening. You know, so don't be afraid to listen and uh, and ask questions. And, you know, you, you know, the stupid question is the one you don't ask. Great advice. And how can our listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? Uh, I have a website, uh, slidereelmotorsport.com, or you can just sort of Google me, and uh, and that's it. There and you go. You can find me on, uh, on Facebook also. There you go, listeners. You can find links to everything Michael has been so kind to share with us today on his show notes page at Cars yeah. Just type Michael in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up with all those links. Michael, thanks again for taking some time out between races here. And being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and your coaching advice with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!